Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Uh, he had um, been there and talked, you know, whenever we're having meetings about a, uh, a ministry that he's uh, in, involved with that he helps lead called The Rooftop. Uh, he's got a table outside, uh, so after the service, go by there for a minute and uh, maybe avail yourself to some of the materials. Um, we're going to be making a, a donation to their ministry. You may want to do that, and you can ask him how. Uh, you can even do it digitally uh, outside even before you leave. But, uh, John, I appreciate you coming to be with us and uh, share you. with us what God put upon your heart. Thank so. you. Good morning. morning. We've got the podium up here, but I won't be behind it often because I like to talk and walk as I talk. So it's good to be here at day three this morning. Um, and just, just blessed to be able to um, work with Lynn closely as we are wanting to um, not just impact the lost pockets across our state and our community, but really just eradicate them and, and really flip them. It's amazing um, how many um, areas right here in the Hickory, Conover, Newton, Granite Falls, we have entire neighborhoods where um, 70% of the people um, wake up every Sunday morning and the last thing, matter of fact, the thing that's never on their mind is church or Jesus. Um, they just wake up, it's another day to go to the wherever, um, but God's not on their mind. So it's great to work with Lynn and um, our um, associational team in Catawba Valley just to how do we begin eradicating these lost pockets. And, and, and this ministry, The Rooftop, is, is, a, is a huge part of that across the nation. I know for some of you, this is the first time you've heard about this ministry. So let me um, tell you a little bit about the rooftop and who we are and how we started. Our founder is Dennis Peathers. Dennis is a British evangelist who grew up in London as an atheist. Um, grew up, didn't go to church, didn't know anybody that went to church where he grew up in London. Um, didn't believe in God, believed that those who did believe in God just believed in God because they needed a crutch. Thought people that went to church were kind of weird. Um, just, you know, that was his life until he was 19, I think around 20 years of age. He was working at Lloyd's of London, and his boss, who was a believer, came into his office one day and said, Dennis, I have a book I want you to read, and gave him a copy of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Dennis, um, first of all, thought, oh no, my boss is one of those people. <laughs> then he said, um, but, but he was intrigued, and he thought, well, I. I'll take the book. Um, bonus time is three weeks away. Might be good to read the book the boss gave me. But really what intrigued him was the name C.S. Lewis because he kept wondering, is this the same C.S. Lewis who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia that I read growing up as a child in London? So on the train for months to and from, he read and reread Mere Christianity. And the more he read, the more God became real to him. One day on that train, he just realized there is a God, and it takes more faith to be an atheist than to believe in him. And he did send his son to die on the cross for my sin so I could have life and freedom and forgiveness of sin. And, and he didn't know what prayer was. He had never been to church in his life. He just knew he needed Jesus. And so, as Dennis tells it, he said, I just looked down at the floor that day in that train filled with people in London, and I just said, Lord... Here I am, do whatever you want. And he said, I knew in that moment something changed. 
He said, I just, I love the way he put it. We were together last week in Cincinnati and he said, I, I just felt like there was a cleansing and a washing inside. He said, I thought for sure the people on the train would notice the difference and say, oh, look at him. <laughs> but he said they didn't. But he said, I knew I was changed. And God began to give Dennis a passion from day one of his walk with Christ as he began to attend church to help the churches get beyond the walls of their buildings to reach those people like he had been who had never stepped foot inside a church but desperately needed a Savior. And so for over 20 years, he led a ministry throughout the United Kingdom and then the United States in partnership with Lifeway, um, just beginning to help churches understand how do we reach children, teenagers, adults, senior adults, you know, different creative ways to get beyond the walls. But seven years ago, he was in a hotel room in Virginia speaking at a conference. And he was greatly burdened because he realized that over 20 years of ministry, teaching on evangelism, and knowing he was not the only one who had been teaching on evangelism, he knew many pastors that were teaching people how to share their faith. He still realized that over 90% of the people who walked in the churches on Sunday morning in worship never talked about Jesus Monday through Saturday. He spent a whole day in prayer just saying, God, why? Why is that? Why is that? And God led him to Acts chapter 10, the story of Peter on the rooftop. And in that story, Peter has this amazing encounter with God on a rooftop in which God gives Peter a fresh vision of his heart for the lost Gentile world. And and out of that, Dennis began to realize what needs to happen in the church is an awakening. What needs to happen in the church is people receiving a fresh vision of God's heart for those among them every day who don't know Jesus. And so he began taking people to rooftops and hilltops and mountainsides, looking out over their cities and saying, Lord, change our hearts. Give us your heart for our city. And God began to change hearts. And the rooftop movement was born. Uh, my background is been in ministry all of my life. I was saved at a young age, at the age of 10. God called me to preach as a teenager when I was 13. And, and, I, and what was really amazing about that, I was saved in my grandmother and grandfather's church in North Florida. When I was saved there at 10 years of age, little did I know that God would bring me back to that church 30 years later to be their senior pastor. But I've been in ministry all my life, 21 years as a pastor. And during that time was when Dennis and I became great friends. And in 2014, Dennis said, hey, would you come aboard and and lead our U.S. work? We are now in over 20 countries around the world. The rooftop movement is alive and well, 15 countries in Africa alone. Um, And my work is just working with pastors and churches and associations and all different groups and different denominations Helping people understand what does it look like to join Jesus in his mission to seek and save the lost. And, and what, what does it look like to get beyond the walls and begin touching those people who would never walk inside the doors of any church, but yet they need Jesus. And they are people that you work among and live among every day. And basically helping you to understand that God has placed you where you are, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. Not just to go and live and not just to go and work, but he's placed you as a missionary. To reach those people that you work with and live among every day. Um, you are called to do that. And one of my passions is to see lay people understand that your vocation is a calling just as much as the calling on Lynn's life to be a pastor is a calling. <laughs> and whether you're a mechanic, a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, it doesn't matter. God's called you and gifted you and placed you where you are to be there beyond the walls of the building. Because while we gather on Sunday, we're scattered the rest of the week. And the reason we're scattered is to touch the nations. And so today I want to talk about joining Jesus in his mission. What, what does that look like? And I want to begin by defining the mission. 
Now, on the screen is the Great Commission. We're very familiar with this passage. The, the scary thing is about familiar passages like this is because, because they are so familiar, we read them. It's often we read them as we yawn <laughs> because we've read it so often. But this is the mission. This is the mission. Jesus says to the disciples, the very last words he says before he goes back to the Father, he looks to the disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Folks, that is the mission. We, we call it the Great Commission. It is the mission to which God calls every one of us to commit our lives to. Not just pastors and missionaries and deacons and elders, but all of us who've been redeemed by Christ. We are called and committed to this mission. It is known as, 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 the, great, as the Great Commission. But, but I also want you to see this morning something else, though. This Great Commission can also be referred to as the Great Invitation. Because what happens in the Great Commission, Jesus says, listen, I am the one with the authority, but I am inviting you to join me in the mission. (laughs) I'm going to give you the authority, but this is something we do together. It's his mission, but we're invited to walk with him in that mission every single day and to go and and to engage with those among us who are trapped in spiritual darkness and they don't even know it and build relationships with them. And begin to speak the gospel into their life. And let them know that they can be set free. That they can be forgiven of their sin. That they can overcome. That there is a God who wants to have a relationship with them. That they can have eternal life. And Jesus said in John 17 that eternal life is knowing the Father and the one whom he sent. And and that is the mission. To join Jesus every day in the mission. That's the mission. He's given us the marching orders. He's given us his authority. he's, He's defined it very clearly. He says, I'll even go with you. I'll never leave you. All you have to do is take the message and go. That's all you have to do. But see, that's where the problem lies. The problem lies in the fact that that many of us, many of us don't go. As a matter of fact, the statistics tell us over 90% of those who attend church on Sundays never talk about their faith outside the walls of the church the rest of the week. The latest research I read the last few weeks was only 3% of Christians ever share their faith. Why is that? See, that was the question that began the rooftop movement because Dennis was asking God, why is that? Um, Is it that we don't care? I don't think that's it. I I think we care. I don't think any of us wake up in the morning and and purposefully say, I'm not going to share my faith today. I don't think it's that. Is it, do, do we not know what to say? Well, I think that may be true to some degree, but I think probably most of us know, at least we can tell our story. Is it fear? Well, I know um, my hands get sweaty when I start talking to a person about Jesus, and I know that's just, that's just part of it. I always thought it was amazing that D. James Kennedy, who was at Coral Presbyterian Church for years, who wrote Evangelism Explosion, um, even, even in his last few years of life in ministry, he talked about the time every time he stepped in the pulpit, he, he was scared. <laughs> and uh, every time he talked to someone one-on-one, he would get nervous. So I think all of that's relevant. 
But, but I, think, I think the issue, I think the problem is, is much deeper. I think the problem is much deeper than that. I think, I think the problem is the fact that while we, we, we do care, we do love, that there's somewhere in our hearts that we're just not in tune with God's heart fully. That we're not fully in step. We, we love people, we don't love them the way he loves them. We see them, but we don't see them the way he sees them. We care about them, we don't care about them the way that he cares about them. And so what needs to happen in the life of the church is we need an awakening. We need an awakening to take place in each of our lives and in each of our churches to the heart of God, which is exactly what happened to Peter in Acts 10. To the heart of God for those around us every day so that we begin to see them and love them and care for them the way that God does. So that we can join Jesus in his mission. We need that awakening to take place. One of my favorite verses is Romans 13, 11. I love this verse. Romans 13, 11, Paul is writing to the church at Rome. This is toward the end of his letter. And as he gets to the end of his letter, here's what he says to the church. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. I love that verse. I especially love it in the Amplified translation of the Bible. Because the Amplified, what it does, it just brings out some of the richness of the original text. To help us understand what what Paul is saying here. So here it is out of the Amplified. Besides this, you know what a critical hour this is. How it is high time now for you to wake up out of your sleep. And I love this. Rouse to reality. For salvation, final deliverance is near to us now than we first believed. Adhere to, trusted in, and relied on Christ the Messiah. I love that first line. Besides this, you know what a critical hour is this. How many of you would agree with me that we are living in a critical hour in the life of our nation and our world today? We see it everywhere. We see some of the things that have been passed through Congress and some of the laws are being passed by states that take abortion to a whole different level. Um, Every day we're seeing this critical hour. Um, We are a nation in desperate need of another great spiritual awakening. We are desperately in need of Christ. And the church is desperately in need of an awakening because folks, before the culture wakes up, we have to wake up. We have to wake up. And what Paul is saying to the church is this. It's the same word we hear, need to hear today. This is a critical hour and it's high time for us to wake up out of our sleep and rouse to reality and, and come out of our stupor of just doing church, but being the church. Understanding what it means to be salt, to be light outside the walls of these buildings. Because let me tell you something, one of the greatest lies that Satan has, has led the church to believe is that those people outside the walls aren't interested. That is a lie, folks. <laughs> they are interested. They are looking for people who will sit down and talk to them and build relationships with them and begin to speak the gospel into their life. There was a Lutheran pastor that goes to a Panera Bread. I forgot what state it was in. I read the article a couple of years ago. And he said he, he went to Panera every morning just to have breakfast. And he had an idea one day because he said, you know, there are people around me every day in this Panera Bread, and i got to find a way to connect with them. So he went to the manager of Panera Bread and said, I want to do something. 
It's going to be very non-invasive. You know, I come here every morning, I get my coffee, my tea, my bagel and all of that. And I sit at this table. Would you mind if I just put a little sign on my table that said, um, do you need prayer today? So he said, I come every morning. He said, I sit down at Panera. I have my Bible with me. I would read. And I put that little sign. And every day he said, people would flock to my table. Can I talk to you? Will you pray for me? See, people are hungry. They're looking. They're looking for that invitation. And so what happens to happen in the church, it's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to wake up. And there's three things that I believe, three areas in which we need to wake up if we're truly going to join Jesus in his mission. Here's the first one. First of all, we need to wake up to the passion of the Father for the lost, the last, and the least. You walk through the Old Testament, you see the passion of God for people. You see it in the very beginning in Genesis. When Adam and Eve sin, the first thing they do is they try to hide from God. What's the first thing God does? He comes in the garden looking for them. Adam, where are you? And he doesn't do that to beat Adam up. He does that because he wants to restore Adam. He wants to bring Adam back into relationship. And God is on this seeking and saving mission all through the Old Testament. You see his passion. But you really see it when Jesus comes on the scene. God in the flesh. As Jesus is constantly interacting with the lost, the last, and the least all around him every day. In Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35, look at these words. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And then I love this verse. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. Now, it's easy to read that and say, oh, he felt sorry for them. But that's not what the word compassion means. The original language, that word compassion is a very strong word. It means that when Jesus saw the crowds, his heart was crushed. His heart was broken. His his stomach turned inside out. It made him physically. It's a a passion that, that you're so moved, you have to do something. That's what Jesus felt. When he saw these helpless, harassed crowds. If we live in a day and age, we are surrounded every day by people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, they're just going everywhere. Trying to find answers, trying to find purpose, trying to find peace. And we have the answer to all of that. His name is Jesus. And Jesus, he comes and and he sees these people and and he he has compassion for them. See, Jesus was driven by the Father's love for people. It's interesting, in John chapter 4, when Jesus is about to have this encounter with a woman at the well, which wasn't an accidental encounter, because if you read the beginning of the story, it says, in Jesus, as he was walking, he had to pass through Samaria. Why did he have to pass through Samaria? Every other Jew would have gone around Samaria. Those are unclean half-breeds. You don't walk through Samaria. But Jesus, he tells the disciples, we're going this way. I have to. Why did he have to? Because Jesus knew there was a woman coming to a well that needed a savior. Why, why, why was it when Jesus was walking through Jericho and you got little Zacchaeus hanging out of the sycamore tree, Jesus stops at the base of that tree. He doesn't say, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'd like to spend time with you today. He says, no, Zacchaeus, come down. I must go to your house today. Why did he, why, why is it a must? Because he knew Zacchaeus needed a savior. He was never in a hurry 
He was never rushed around, but he was always walking with that intentional love for people because he was driven by the Father's love for people. He was driven by his love for people, that they would be saved. In Acts 10, 9 through 20, when Peter goes to the rooftop to pray and has this encounter with God, what happens is Peter's entire life is turned upside down. Because Acts 10 is the pivot point in, in the book of Acts. Because up until Acts 10, the church is growing by thousands. But the Jewish believers are only sharing the gospel with other Jewish believers. People that look like them, talk like them, dress like them, act like them, worship like them. Because they're still living under this paradigm that Gentiles, all these non-Jews, they're unclean pagans. Who don't eat like we eat and they don't believe what we believe and therefore... If you associate with him, you're going to become unclean. They're still living in that Jewish paradigm. All that changes in Acts 10 because what happens in Acts 10, Peter goes to a rooftop to pray. God shows up. He has this incredible vision in which God breaks his heart for the lost world around him, including the Gentiles, and it radically changes Peter's life. See, like many churches, just like, like, like the Jews of that day, we need to be awakened out of our comfort zones, um, out, of, out, of, out, of, out of the way we do things so that we become the people that God has called us to be. You see, they were still looking at people through their Jewish lens, their cultural lens. What happens on the rooftop is God comes to Peter and he, and he confronts Peter at the very core of his pride and his prejudice and his preferences. Reminds Peter that, that he came for everyone, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. And he awakens Peter. And we see the fruit of that awakening as Peter comes off the rooftop to find three Gentiles waiting for him to take him to the home of a Roman centurion Gentile named Cornelius. And when Peter goes to Cornelius' house in Acts 10, 28, I don't have that verse on the screen, but here's what happens. He walks into the house First time Peter's ever been in a Gentile house in his entire life. He's probably got butterflies and F-16s flying around in his stomach. This is huge for him. He is coming out of every cultural, he's breaking every Jewish tradition and law there is. And he says it to them. He walks in the house and the first thing he says is this house full of Gentiles. He says, you know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with a person of another nation. But then I love these next two words. But God. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. He said, what we need in the life of the church, we need a but God moment. Where we walk outside and we see beyond the way people dress and act and look. And we see them through the Father's eyes as these are people that need a Savior. See, one of the things we have to get over as a church, I've been saying this for 35 or 40 years, we, we need to get over being shocked when lost people act lost. <laughs> I don't know why we still get shocked when people who don't know Jesus act like people who don't know Jesus. But we do. It's amazing to me. They don't know Jesus. They're going to use language we don't use. They're going to do stuff we don't do. But that's okay. They're lost. They don't know Jesus. And so we need an awakening. We need an awakening to the Father's heart. Repenting of our preferences, repenting of our prejudices, our pride, anything else that's keeping us from joining Jesus in his mission and saying, Father, would you just give us your eyes to see people beyond 
what they do and what they look like and just see them, Jesus, the way you saw Zacchaeus that day hanging out of the sycamore tree. Somebody that is, needs Jesus, that needs a Savior, that needs to know that God loves them. We need an awakening for that. Secondly, we need an awakening. We need to wake up to the power of the gospel. Romans 1.16. Paul begins the letter of Romans with these words. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. One of my greatest concerns is I think too many Christians have a very limited view of the gospel. They, they, they read these words, but they see the gospel as this message of salvation for those who don't know him. And therefore, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a message that applies only to our life after this life. Folks, that's, that's, that's not the gospel. The gospel is so much more than that. It is the power of God for salvation. It is the power of God for salvation. But here's what we have to understand. It is not only the power of God that saves us from sin and death. It's also the power of God that saves us to walk in newness of life. That saves us to walk in victory over sin. That saves us to walk as more than conquerors. That saves us to walk in the power of Christ to engage others with the gospel. You see, the gospel speaks into every aspect of life. You and I who are, who are believers in Christ, we need the gospel just as much today as we needed it the day we accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because the gospel is constantly speaking, saving us from, yes, but saving us to join Jesus in his mission. We need to be reawakened to the power of the gospel. It's the gospel, the power for everyone who believes. No one's beyond its reach. In Acts 10, when, when, when Peter shows up at Cornelius' house, he begins to share the gospel with this house full of Gentiles. Peter takes some Jewish believers with him, by the way. One, because he knew God was about to do something and he wanted them to see it. Two, I think there was also probably sort of a selfish motive there because I think Peter thought, if I'm going to step out of this comfort zone, you're going with me. I'm not, step, I'm not, stepping, I'm not stepping outside of all the traditions of Judaism and the, and, and the, and the church by myself. But what happens is the... Before Peter even finishes the message in Acts 10, the Holy Spirit falls. And the Gentile Pentecost takes place. And the, and the Jewish believers are shocked. And here's actually what, here's actually what the verse says. It says, and, and, and those among from the circumcised, the Jewish believers, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. <laughs> even on the Gentiles. They were like, Wow. What happened is they saw the power of the gospel. I think sometimes we get into this even the mindset. Well, yeah, I'm not sure. They're one of the even those. I'm not sure God can save them. The power of the gospel. We, we, We need God to wake us up to how amazingly powerful this gospel is. It is the power of God for salvation to set us free from sin and death and set us free to walk in the power of Christ. To go into a dark world and invade it with the light of the gospel. To walk into lost pockets. To walk into lost neighborhoods. To walk in the neighborhoods and workplaces filled with people who don't know Jesus. And realize that we have the gospel, the power of God for salvation. We have an incredible message 
to share with a world that is in desperate need, desperate need of Christ. But then the third thing we need to wake up to, and I believe probably of all the things, this is probably the first thing that we need to wake up to so the other two things happen. We need to wake up to the priority of prayer. It's interesting, when when Paul begins writing Timothy, Timothy's this young preacher, preaching in Ephesus, pastoring his first church. First and second Timothy are Paul's letters of encouragement and instruction for Timothy. And he begins the letter in first Timothy, the first one, just with greetings and kind of warning about the false teachers and giving him some, some, just some basic instructions and encouragement, reminding him that Christ came to save sinners, wage the good fight, encouraging words. But then he gets to chapter two, and this is where Paul begins to really begin to lay out Peter, Timothy, here's where I want you to focus. I find it interesting the first things out of Paul's mouth. <laughs> he says to Timothy these words. First of all, first of all, most of all, most important, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. It is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. First thing Paul says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, first of all, I want you to lead these people to be people of prayer. When Jesus begins his ministry, he begins it by going to the temple and cleaning house. He ends his ministry, by the way, the same way before he goes to the cross. He goes to the temple, cleans house, and declares once again, my father's house is to be a house of prayer for all the nations. First thing Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, first of all, I want you to teach people to pray. I want prayers made for all people. This is good in the sight of God because he desires all men to be saved. See, there's an evangelistic connection there. I think one of the most misunderstood and most underutilized gifts that God has given us is this amazing gift of prayer. The average Christian today, by the way, the average Christian today only prays five minutes a day. My friend Doug Small says that most of those five minutes are going around the Walmart parking lot praying for a park. Maybe a lot of truth to that. But what's happened today is so many Christians, we see prayer as something to do on the run. Something to do as we're driving to work. Something to do when a crisis hits. Or just something to do. We've made it into an activity. Something that we, you know, we check the box off. I prayed today. Woohoo! I'm religious. Woohoo! You know, I've done my prayer. Um, and we have forgotten that prayer is so much more, friends. Prayer is so much more. Prayer is fluid communion with the Father. Fluid, that means it's always flowing. Paul watched the church of Thessalonica and says, pray without ceasing. It's fluid communion. It's fluid communion. It's walking with God. And I love this phrase. I got it from John Eldridge. In conversational intimacy. Every day. Talking to him every day. Pursuing his heart as you walk with him, talk with him, and listen to him. Because a key component of prayer is listening. Because prayer is a two-way conversation. 
where you wake up in the morning and the first thing on your mind is, is Jesus and you want to spend some time with him before you get the day. But then the rest of the day you're walking with him and talking with him and, 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 and sharing your heart and the little things and the big things and um, the little, the, the, all the aspects of life because prayer is inviting him into all the different aspects of your life. It's inviting him into all the different aspects of your life. Folks, that's prayer. It's not something we do. It's someone we're with. It's not something we do. It's someone we're with. And God wants to be involved in every aspect of prayer. And I began this habit years ago of just walking with God and and saying, God, I want you to be a part of every aspect. I don't want to make a decision without hearing you. And so I brought him, I I started bringing him to everything. Little things, big things, medium-sized things. It doesn't matter. I'll give you an example. A few weeks ago, I had the joy of having to call the IRS to ask a question. First of all, you got to wait on the phone for 45 minutes before you can get somebody to talk to to ask the question. So I just put my phone on speaker and keep working while I'm waiting for a voice. But I've started doing this thing and said, God, you know, you know exactly the person I need to speak to today. So you just, you just guide me and you, and you just bring the right person on the line so we can talk. And, and somebody that can really help me as well. So this guy gets on the phone and we start talking and everything. Really nice guy. And so we start walking through the information. He wants to make sure he's got my address right and all the, you know, he's got to do all those, those form, form questions. Um, and then, and then um, he says to me, he says, so tell me, I see you here that you also serve with the rooftop. What's the rooftop? And I said, well, it's a, it's a ministry. Um, and I shared with him about rooftop. I said, I travel and I speak in churches. And I just help people understand how to connect with people outside the walls of their church. He says, that's so cool. He spends the next 20 minutes talking to me about his church in New York and his pastor and how much God's blessing them. Tells me the name of his wife and his kid. Hey, would you pray for us? Uh, we spent more time talking about Jesus and faith. And I think we did my tax question. We had a great conversation, and, um, and he did answer my question in the midst of all that. But, but it was just interesting, and I believe it's because I took time to say, God, I'm inviting you to this phone call. And I want you to connect me with the right person, and I was able to encourage him. I said, hey, were you part of the layoff? Were you one of the ones the guy said yes? But he said, no, God was so good. Let me tell you what God did for us. And he started telling me how God provided for him and his family. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and again, it's because I said, God, I invite you to this conversation. See, that's prayer. See, the whole story of Acts 10, the rooftop story, takes place in the context of prayer. It begins with Cornelius, this centurion, this Gentile who doesn't know God, but he wants to know God. And it says in verse 2, he prayed continually to God. By the word, the word for prayer there is a Greek word called deamai. It's only used a few times. And it's, it's, it's called the binding prayer. The word day am I, we translate it prayer, but it's the kind of prayer my grandmother called praying through, that you don't stop praying until God answers, and you keep asking until God answers. That's what Cornelius is doing. He's praying. He's earnestly crying out to God because he wants to know God. When Peter has his encounter with God on the rooftop, it's because around noon they're preparing lunch, he's hungry, and he goes to pray. And it's in the context of prayer that God sends an angel to Cornelius in Acts 10 and says, Cornelius, God's heard your prayers. Now take some men and go to 
Joppa and send them to Joppa to bring Peter back. He's going to tell you everything you need to know. And as a result of that prayer that Cornelius is praying, as these guys are going to Joppa, now Peter's praying, God shows up with this incredible vision, reminds Peter that do not call anything common or unclean, radically changes Peter's life, which causes Peter now to come off the rooftop because the Holy Spirit says there's some guys waiting for you downstairs. Go with them without hesitation. He walks downstairs to his surprise. It's Gentiles. God left that detail out, by the way. I thought that was kind of funny. I thought, you know, it's pretty cool that God said, I'm just going to wait till he gets down there. When he sees the Roman soldier, maybe that'll be a clue. And, um, and, and so he goes down and he realizes what God's doing. He invites him into his house. He goes with him the next day. He shares the gospel with his entire Gentile household. They get gloriously saved. And as a result of that, guess what? The gospel begins to spread from Acts 11 on to the entire Gentile world. But all that happens in the context of prayer. If Cornelius had not been seeking God, God would have never came to Cornelius, would have never told Cornelius to go send men to Joppa, Peter would have never had the encounter on the rooftop. And unless you're a Jew, none of us would have been here today. I tell tell people all the time, if you're a Gentile, you need to praise God daily for Acts chapter 10. (laughs) Because that's when it shifted. And Peter got in hot water. I mean, church hadn't changed. People hadn't changed in 2,000 years. Peter goes in Acts 11 to the church. And the first thing they do is the circumcised believers jump all over him because he went and spent time with a Gentile. And Peter's like, back the horse up. Let me tell you what God did. And then they said, hallelujah, let's go get him. But all that happened in prayer. Prayer's powerful. Now, prayer's powerful not because prayer's powerful. Prayer's powerful because God's powerful. And when churches become houses of prayer and Christians become people of prayer, things happen, folks. God moves. Every great awakening in this nation took place in the context of prayer. And it wasn't a whole bunch of people praying either. Every great spiritual awakening I've read about happened because a handful of people got burdened and began seeking God. The reason they call the haystack revival the haystack revival, because it took place with a couple of guys in a haystack, because you only get a couple of guys in a haystack praying. But out of that haystack came one of the greatest revival movements. And by the way, let me tell you something, lay people, you who are not in ministry vocationally, most great awakenings began with lay people praying, not pastors and missionaries and elders. It was Jeremiah Lamphere in New York City, a lay person, a businessman who got burdened, began every week praying. First him, and then six, and then 10, then 20, and then 40, and And then revival broke out. That revival took place today on the same scale it took place then. We would see across this nation in a matter of a year over a million people come to Christ. And that would change the course of a nation. (laughs) It changed the course of a nation then. We must pursue the priority of prayer. Because that's where we get to know the Father's heart for those among us who are lost. As we come to him daily and say, God, I need that encounter like Peter had. And one of of the key aspects of our ministry is what we call the rooftop city encounters. We take people, pastors, leaders to cities. In cities, we take them to a high place in a building or a mountaintop, which is normally what we do in Arizona. And, and, And they can look out over their city and just say, God, 
Would you just help me to see what you see? Would you break my heart for the city and the people that I live among? It's amazing what God does. I'll be leading our third Chicago rooftop encounter in May on the 99th floor of the Sears Tower. Known as the Willis Tower, but we still call it the Sears Tower in Chicago. April 29th, I'll be back in Washington, D.C. on the Museum of the Bible with pastors and leaders looking out over D.C. and saying, God, send revival for our nation and give us your heart, break our heart. See, it all has to happen in prayer. If we're going to be awakened to the Father's passion and the power of the gospel, it begins on our knees saying, God, as Jonathan Edwards prayed, we need your eyeballs. We need your heart. We need you to do in us what you did in Peter. We need, you, we need you to do in us what you have done so often in the past. We need you to wake us up out of our slumber and just help us realize how critical this hour is. And Lord, just set us on fire that we would join Jesus in his mission and your power for your glory. With this incredible message that is the power of God for our salvation to everyone who believes. If, if, we, if we are going to be the church that God has called us to be, a people of prayer, you walk through Acts, it's all about prayer. Peter and John get beat up and threatened and said, don't preach in the name of Jesus. They go back to the church and say, hey, here's what they said, here's what they did. What does the church do? Does the church back up and say, no, we better slow down. No, they get on their face before God and say, God, give us boldness. And the spirit of God falls and the place shakes. That's what we need. See, if we're going to be a people of God, if we're going to be the people joining Jesus, we have to pursue the passion of the Father. For those around us, we've got to start saying, God, help me see my neighbors the way you see them. Help me see that cranky person across the street the way you see them. We had a guy in Kentucky, he's a businessman. I was just um, at the church he attends last week. This happened about five years ago. We lived across from a trailer park. Did not like that trailer park. Tried to get the trailer park moved. Bringing property values down. Didn't like the people that lived in the trailer park. And then his whole life got messed up because Dennis Peathers, our founder, came and spoke at his church. (laughs) And then his pastor began saying, hey, here's what I want you to do, church members. I want you every morning to wake up and start praying, God, give me your heart for those around me. And he wanted to be a good church member, so he started doing what his pastor asked him to do. He got up every morning saying, God, give me your heart for those around me. One morning, he walked out his front door, and he saw that trailer park, and guess what happened? God gave him his eyeballs. (laughs) He now leads a ministry in that trailer park. He's led, I forgot how many people, to Christ. Why? Because he pursued the heart of the Father. And God said, here it is. We 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 need to embrace the power of the gospel. We need to constantly say, God, help, help me to realize today just how amazing the gospel is. Remind me of the gospel, how powerful it is. And then we need to persist in the priority of prayer. We need, we need to make sure that prayer is the mainstream of our lives individually and as families and also the mainstream of our church's life. Because when we pray, that's when God works. See, God's just looking for churches and people who say, God, I believe everything you say in this book. And I believe that when you say, ask, you shall receive, you mean that. And we're asking and we're seeking and we're knocking and we're believing and we're trusting. If we are to join Jesus in his mission, that's what we have to do. You gotta pursue the Father's passion daily, every day. Say, God, help me to see the people. My ministry is a, is a marketplace ministry. Um, 
because of the simple fact that not only do I do this ministry and travel and speak in churches and do things like that, God also has given me the opportunity to be the marketing director for Chick-fil-A. So I'm in Valley Hills Mall most days, where if you go to the TV store, you'll meet Muhammad, who's a Muslim from Pakistan. Great guy. We had the opportunity five weeks ago to baptize one of our Chick-fil-A team members who made a profession for faith in Christ. And I say that to you because I know sometimes preachers preach and people who live in the marketplace and work in the marketplace say, well, you don't understand, Pastor, because the marketplace is tough. And I love to tell people that because I want you to know I know it's tough because I'm there. But God wants to work through you. So pursue his passion. Pursue his passion. Pursue his passion for people. I'm going to pray here in a moment. We're going to have a time where... Just um, some call it invitation, some call it decision. I, I call it a time we get to meet with God. I mean, the altar's open. We have steps here, and it's not just so the pastors and the praise team can get up here on stage without having to jump. It's also here, I believe these steps are here because they're a place we can meet God. And maybe this morning, as God speaks to your heart, you may want to come and make that altar, your chair can become your altar. You can make this an altar. You can make the stage area an altar. And just say, God, uh, would you just give me your passion? Would you remind me how awesome the gospel is? God, would you just help me to become a person of prayer? You may have somebody that you're just burdened for. And, and listen, God doesn't just want you to pray for that person to come to Christ. He wants you to join him in reaching them. And so part of your prayer should be, God, I'm praying for so-and-so because they desperately need you, but also it's God, show me what you want to do in me and through me and how you want to use me to connect with them so they can come to know you. And maybe this morning you've never met him. You've never met Jesus, this Jesus we've talked about, who loves you. I don't believe you're here by accident. I believe everybody's here because God wanted you here this morning. Maybe you're here because God just wanted you to hear one more time, he loves you. So much he sent his son to go to a cross and pay the price for your sin so that you wouldn't have to. And on that cross, Jesus took upon himself all the wrath, all of the anger of the father toward sin, toward our sin on himself. And he did that so you wouldn't have to. Then he went to a grave, died, so you wouldn't have to. Because three days later, he came out of that grave. And he conquered sin. And he conquered death. And the power of sin. And the penalty of sin. And he did that for you and you and you and you and me. So you could have a relationship with him. The living God. This morning, you may be here and you say, you know, I've heard this story, but I've never taken that step where I've said, Jesus, I truly do believe and I need you. Here's my life. Here's my life. I'm a sinner, but you're the Savior. And I trust you. And everything you did on that cross, I believe you did for me. And I receive you today. So Lynn's going to be standing here. Altar's going to be open. If you're not sure about your relationship with Christ... Come to Lynn. If you're not sure what to say, I'm going to make it real simple for you. All you have to do is say three words to Pastor Lynn, and he'll know what you're talking about. All you have to say is, I need Jesus. That's all you have to say. I need Jesus. That's all you have to say. So would you stand with me quietly? Let's pray. We're going to start singing.
The altar's open. Father, you are in our midst. You invited us to an amazing mission. But God, we confess to you that there is so much stuff in our life that gets in the way. We're just like Peter on that rooftop, man. We need you to move and deal with those things that are in the way. And we need you to give us a fresh passion of your heart for those among us. We need you to give us, oh God, a fresh vision of the gospel. We need you, oh God, to make us people of prayer and remind us that prayer is not something we do, but it's you. It's about you. It's about walking with you. God, I pray today, move in this time of decision, meeting with you. For those that are standing right here and the hearing of my voice who have not yet trusted you, Jesus, draw them. Give them the courage to step out and come to Pastor Lynn and just say, I need Jesus. Do the work that only you can do in this moment, in this time, for your glory and your glory alone. For it's in your incredible and awesome name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.